Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Welcome, everybody. So today, I am uploading a podcast I did with my old man, Jim Bob, and uh, we sat down and talked about his trip on a powerboat up the Erie Canal, you know, past New York. He basically was going from around the Chesapeake Bay area all the way up to northern Michigan um, through the Mackinac Straits and all that stuff. About a 10-day trip or so, and it was really cool. It was interesting to hear about his his sort of adventure going through all this this uh, this canal and the locks and everything like that. We, we sat down and did this a couple weeks ago, but uh, I figure I might as well upload it now. Before I set sail, and uh, on that note, uh, I wanted to just talk really quickly, updates as far as the repairs and everything. Um, I have the deck repaired, and all the holes and the gaps are all sealed up, and I've already had got a few coats of paint on there. The bowsprit has been epoxied back together and is all varnished up. Still have a few more coats to do on that. And then I have to install the foot railings and then also the handrail and, and all that sort of stuff. And then actually uh, put, the, put the whole thing back onto the boat, made up a new plate for it to sit down on, and then epoxied this, this broken piece of wood. It was sort of a spacer that angles it just at the right spot. So all of it is looking really nice, whether or not it's going to actually hold up to uh, a bashing up the East Coast in May. Uh, only time will tell on that one, so we will see. But I got a, a quick email from from a, a listener, and he was asking about sort of the damage, uh, about the, the bowsprit and stuff, and I did want to, uh, I wanted to sort of address that um, just to make make it clear, because now, you know, after, after tearing everything apart, I really got to see what was really going on, and in some ways, it definitely justified, I think, my, my decision to, to turn back rather than attempt trying to band-aid it out at sea because I, I don't think I would have actually been able to completely remove the bowsprit when I was out at sea in any sort of real safe manner. Um, I mean, I suppose anything can be done out there when it needs to be, but it never would have been, uh, it never would have been such a quality job that I would have felt confident heading down towards Cape Horn and into the Southern Ocean with it. So uh, essentially what was happening and and a lot of what was wrong, I think, was sort of compounded throughout the years and throughout the other trips that I've done. Um, I think this was something that was slowly happening up there and everything was degrading and corroding and, and gaps were widening over the years. And it just ended up coming to sort of its apex um, after, after 
Tropical Store Wanda, and then also bashing into the the easterly trades. But essentially, what was happening, it was it was kind of threefold. So the actual bowsprit itself um, is three sandwiched pieces of wood that are epoxied together, and those in certain spots were delaminating. So it, it was either taking pressure side to side which was sort of delaminating these a bit so gaps were forming and initially I was refilling those with a bit of epoxy like West System and then varnishing over the top because the biggest worry for me is that you start to get water seeping into that wood it starts to rot it away and if you're if you're going to be out at sea for nine or ten or twelve months that can become a serious issue and, and sort of weaken that structure the other thing that was happening was the two side rails that you can walk on to to then get up to the tip of the bowsprit. Those were flexing enough when I was sort of hove to and, and pounding and, and pitching into the seas that gaps had formed in between the actual bowsprit and then the rails running alongside it. And there's three huge, huge bolts that, that bolt everything together. But again, a seam had been had been opened and now water can get in. And out there, I filled all that with 5200 because I figured it would allow me to sort of seal seal it with something that was a bit more flexible because I, I definitely saw that those, those rails were going to be sort of moving the whole time anytime it actually pitched into a, a heavy sea. So, which is quite often if you're beating into the wind or hove to in, in pretty steep, steep stuff. And then the other part was essentially the little, this little separator block of wood that, that sort of angles the bowsprit. So it's in between the bowsprit and the deck that had split in half. And so it, it was basically allowing water to run straight in and it had a quarter inch gap. That's how much it had split. I mean, it was basically in two pieces. And so now it was saturating this this old teak decking that was was left up there you know originally i had ripped all the teak decking off of the foredeck and the side rails but that part i had left because i didn't want to have to take the bowsprit apart and all that sort of stuff well you can see what happens if you don't don't do the the job 100 percent. so in any event when i ripped all that off then i got to see that there were actual holes underneath the deck which I'm sure were constantly dripping water into into the boat, but it was around the two posts that come through the deck that are sort of like the strong point. It's where I cleat off my dock lines. Around each one of those was a gap of, hey, you know, uh, probably an eighth of an inch to a little bit more, and those gaps definitely every time water was coming on the foredeck it was going straight down those gaps and it was something that I couldn't see until I ripped all the decking off of the boat. And then, then it was sort of like, Oh, okay. That's why I had 20 gallons of water <laughs> in the bilge that one time, uh, which sort of compounded to, to me sort of freaking out a little bit out there. So that was sort of the damage. And again, it was, it was, I believe, just the buildup of, of something that was slowly happening over many, many years. Uh, but unfortunately it, it did, it, it got to a point where I lost complete confidence in its ability to really be strong and 
take a, a beating that I was going to try or I was attempting to, uh, to go for. So that was sort of, hopefully that, that, that gives you a little bit better idea of, of what I was dealing with out there. And they, you know, obviously there were other issues going on on the boat, but that was, that was the one that I was most worried about because that bowsprit, when I throw the drifter up there, when I throw a jib, any of those sails up there, I mean, there's nine times out of 10, it's perfect. And it's just holding and taking that pressure, but then you get some swell and all of a sudden the, the big sail is, is collapsing and then bam, it's filling right back up. And there's a lot of shock load. And the last thing I wanted was that bowsprit to, uh, completely snap off. And I don't even know what I would have done at that point. It would not have been, uh, wouldn't have been fun. That's for sure. But in any event, uh, that was that. And, uh, like always, before I start the show, um, if you feel like supporting the podcast, it's more and more appreciated. You guys have no idea how great it is to uh, to see that. And I want to thank everybody who already is one of the, the members on Patreon. So uh, other than that, let's go ahead and start the show. Uh, Jim Bob's Adventure Up the Erie Canal. Enjoy. Nice. Nice. Jim Bob, the old man of the sea, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, uh, Dad. I appreciate it. I had to travel so far to get here. Yeah, we're doing it in your place down in Florida. It's pretty nice. Uh, definitely beats Michigan at this time of year. So kudos. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, but yeah, I, I know it's been delayed a bit, but I, I definitely wanted to get into this, this adventure you had. Uh, do you want to tell us what the mission was? I I got a call from the wife of my cardiologist who had saved my life essentially about 20 years before. And he was also a friend at that time. But she was asking if I was interested in uh, captaining their newly acquired Sea uh, Ray 470 up from the Annapolis area up to Petoskey, you know, via the New York City and the Erie Canal and stuff like that. And, and the Great Lakes. And what what time of year was it? It was... May? The end of March? No, end of April, I guess. End of April, beginning of May. May. Yeah, because you had asked if I wanted to come, but I, that's about the time that I was getting ready to sail north up to Maine from South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And I asked Adam if he'd be interested, and he was doing the sky stuff out in New Mexico, so he couldn't. And, and you didn't even ask, Sven. <laughs> <laughs> Burn, Sven. He'll listen to this, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was also working for Sky at that time. But I had asked your mother, and she didn't really feel comfortable about, you know, running the lines as we go through the myriad of locks on the Erie Canal. And Yeah, probably not her cup of tea. She's more uh, charter boat in the BVI. Yeah, yeah. Kick back, relax. Instead of a, a delivery where you need to try and move as quickly as you can. On a whim, I called uh, Mark Lamberson, an old friend of ours from Casper and now Flagstaff, Arizona. Pretty adventurous guy, always down for a little something new. Yeah, you know, and I've been sailing with him. He's, he's not, you know, an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but he's competent and, and willing to learn and stuff. And he thought it would sound like a great idea. So 
I got with the Kofers and and uh, we lined this up, you know, and they asked me, you know, what my fee would be for, you know, being the captain. And I said, I, I don't really need any fee. This is going to be a Yeah, a trip. your husband already saved my life once. Yeah. Uh, and, so. and, and, you know, doing this would be a blast, you know, just expenses and stuff. So that was how we set it up and we investigated insurance to make sure I was covered and they were covered. And well, because you, you have your U.S. Coast Guard license. Yes. So yeah. that, that already puts you a little step above me as far as yeah. uh, the legality of, of moving boats. Yeah. And the only thing about it is I, I, I don't think I'd ever driven a powerboat bigger than about 24 feet in my life. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, this is... Puppy had two 900 horsepower diesel engines in it and pod drives and well, and not to mention the route. I mean, you yeah. know, you're you and I are, are sort of cut from that cloth of of offshore sailing and all that sort. Of, I mean, you were the the first crew member on on the Mighty Sparrow on the trip from Florida down to the BVI, 14 days with yeah. no engine, right? So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that's the sort of stuff that. To be honest, I would have less stress trying to plan a trip across the Atlantic than I probably would doing what you guys did, just because there, there's there's so much stuff that goes into it. There's so much focus, um, you know, out at sea. It's it's nothing. It's you're it's just open ocean, and you're pretty much alone the whole time. But so it is. It's it's pretty interesting to hear how this how this whole thing went down. Yeah, and and uh, we went. Went went down to I think it was Stevensville, Maryland, which is across the bay from Annapolis. And there's a good sized marina there, and that's where the boat was. And unfortunately, they were still working on the engine, one of the or both engines at that time. The uh, survey had recommended that the aftercoolers be changed, and they were having trouble getting them. And so, uh, not a great start to not, the voyage. Not a great start. And, <laughs> Dr. Cover and I were going to go down and, you know, be shown the boat and take it out. And then he was going to take off and Mark was going to show up and we were going to start the voyage. But we, the boat never was fixed while Dr. Cover was there. So a couple of days later, the parts arrived. They were installed. We, we started out trying to go maybe 50 miles or so in late afternoon you know, we fueled up, we took the boat out of the slip for the first time. Without hitting anything, <laughs> Without hitting which anything. is the key. That's yeah. the goal. Took off and got about 15 miles up the bay. All of a sudden, there was this huge uh, roaring sound coming from the engine compartment. And we didn't, we played with RPMs for a little bit and could sort of make it go away, but then it would come back. And eventually, we uh, decided to turn around and head back to the marina and have Smart. the mechanic take a look at it. And we let the culvers know, let the marina know, let the mechanic know. He showed up the next morning, and it was a about a four-inch diameter rubber coupling between the aftercooler and some other part, which is subject to, like, 400-degree temperatures and high pressures. And it had blown the... the uh, coupling apart oh geez and fortunately he was able to sort of jury rig 
apart from some other spares he had in his uh, his uh, van, we took off and we never had a, a another problem the rest of the rest of the time. Oh, nice. Well, did did that sort of weigh on your mind a little bit though? Sort of the whole time, thinking like, oh, is that actually going to work? I know I get that on the sailboat when I do some sort of fix that's not quite a complete replacement. Yeah, it it, it you know I was able to see where it was and sort of examine it, see if there were any signs of deterioration. And no, it, it looked good. And, oh, okay. And we well, never never had any problem with that at all. I never had any problem with the engines. The next morning after we got the engine fixed, we took off and we went from Stevensville north up the Chesapeake Bay, past Baltimore to the uh, C&D Canal. What, what sort of speeds in the Chesapeake were you able to do? We did about 25 knots. Oh, okay. So you're flying. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Making tons of ground. <laughs> and then we're, we're headed for the C&D Canal, which is Chesapeake and Delaware Canal, which is one of the earliest canals built connecting the Delaware Bay and the Chesapeake Bay. Hmm. And it saved incredible amounts of time for shipping, being able to go up Delaware Bay and cut across and get to uh, Baltimore and... Uh, Washington, I guess. I, I don't know where else, but I read something about it at one point in time. Yeah. So we, and it was it was kind of cool because we're going by all this landscape vegetation and stuff and a couple of little bridges over this thing. And as we're going through one of the bridges, all of a sudden one of those uh, big car carriers uh, comes into view. It's like 650 feet long or something. And oh, geez. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's a twin of the one that capsized in uh, was it South Carolina when it left port. Oh, yeah. And it tipped over, didn't catch on fire and stuff. Maybe. I'm not sure. It did during the salvage operation, but they had to cut it up into pieces and take it out. Yeah, to get it out. But it was an identical twin to that. It was just. Huge. massive yeah. and it's in this little channel yeah yeah so we got through that then we headed down the delaware and we ran into headwinds and the outgoing tide and we had sort of a bumpy ride down the delaware bay so i let mark drive <laughs> oh good yeah i'll be down below taking a nap that's the sign of a good captain there yeah it meant you trusted your crew, though, so yes. that's good. Yeah, and and I think we had knocked our speed down to about twelve to fourteen knots. Yeah, because that's the you don't want to pound the boat to pieces. Yeah, and yeah, you always got to make sure that's okay. And then we, uh, at the end of Delaware Bay, just before the end, we went left into the uh, Cape May Canal, which takes you into, uh, I guess it's Cape May Harbor. And it, it was a neat little canal, very little navigation aids on it, not many lights or anything like that, so it's good you get through before dark. But we got into Cape May, and we were planning to spend the night there, and we went around and looked at the marina that they had talked about was a good place to stay, and we looked, and it was uh, just before four, I think, and sunset i can't remember now but when sunset would be but it was at least a couple of hours away and atlantic city is only 50 miles up the coast and so we said, hey let's go to atlantic city let's go roll the dice in <laughs> atlantic city yeah. and uh so we went out outside into the atlantic and had a great ride 
you know, the, the wind now was on our uh, starboard quarter, and the boat just churned just along fly. at 25 knots, and, and we were there in no time. And uh, went to the Golden Nugget Marina, I think it was called, which was <laughs> huge. Yeah. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. Summertime down there, I'm sure that's a pretty big draw. Yeah. And we, uh, I think we cooked something on board that night, and I went to the casino. Mark wasn't interested, but uh, I was extremely frustrated as the evening went on. I had to wear a mask, and I was sitting there, and I was winning. I was playing. I was on a slot machine. Yeah. And I was losing, but not losing very much, you know. And Waiting for that big jackpot. And it was like, I can't stand this. I'm... And, you know, I started with the $200 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it wasn't going anywhere. So finally <laughs> I left. It went, it went Smart, back the smart. Yeah. And then uh, the next morning we uh, motored over to the fuel dock. It, it was actually kind of funny because just beyond the fuel dock was a about a 40-foot sailboat lying on its side, completely stripped, obviously been there for a while. And you're thinking, why doesn't somebody get rid of that thing because it's expensive yeah and uh, they can't you know there's that that's a problem throughout the whole world is is derelict boats that are just left cut and run and then somebody's got to deal with it in, in south carolina um i don't know who takes care of them but they're because it, it ends up happening around our area near buford every once in a while you'll just get a derelict boat and then it breaks free and then somebody's i think they call like the dnr or something but they end up towing it and then scrapping it. But it's a pretty big operation to dispose of a big fiberglass sailboat. Yeah, you know? yeah. Anyhow, we at the fuel dock, we met a uh, 55-foot powerboat called Mahogany Rose, which was headed to uh, Bay City, Michigan, I think. So basically oh, it was yeah, going same direction, same yeah. direction we were going. And so we... Fueled up, took off, got outside of Atlantic City and put the throttle down and, and uh, sailed up the coast of uh, New Jersey, which was kind of interesting looking at, seeing all the houses on, you know, we were five miles offshore or something, but yeah. And nice rolling swell and once again doing 25 knots and just wow. Sitting there. How, know, how was the uh, traffic? Uh, very little. Very little that far in, huh? Very little, yeah. I think we saw a couple of commercial toes a few miles outside of us, but that was about all I remember. There was there was a couple of other pleasure boats. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which direction they were going, but they were. So it was it was fun, you know. We're just cruising along, and it was it was interesting because as you and I both know, when you're sailing, you're most in, you know unless you have a really sophisticated dodger setup. You're out in the elements the whole time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that. (laughs) And in this boat, it had a huge uh, sunroof that we could open up and a little window on each side. But basically, you're you're enclosed, you know, and... And And the chairs must have been pretty comfortable. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, it was interesting. It, it's not my idea of normal... Yachting, yeah. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, how would it compare comfort-wise to uh, being aboard Mighty Sparrow? Oh, 
this Sundancer was a 10 and Mighty, <laughs> Mighty Sparrow was a 2, maybe. A 2. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> Unless you're surfing down a wave and then, then Mighty Sparrow is yeah, right. really nice. Well, so where do you actually cut in to, uh, to start making your way into the, the real narrow canals, like the Erie Canal and stuff? Well, we we went up, uh, you know, on the coast of New Jersey, essentially to New York, and the the first thing we went by was the Atlantic Highlands, which uh, is just before, just south of Sandy Hook. Oh, okay, yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting because you hear these names all the time, and you think, well, you know, well, Sandy Hook is a low, flat sand. Yeah, it's uh, like a jetty or something, dude, almost, yeah, right? It's, you know, a number of miles long and Atlantic Highlands are just south of them. And they're a pretty massive, not, I wouldn't call it a hill, but it's a bluff or something rather, but it's, it, it looked like it was, I don't know, three or 300 feet high or something. So it's, it's, you know, you can sort of imagine how the, it got its name back in the day, you know, on, on, sailing ships and all that sort of stuff that you'd, you'd be able to physically see it. Yeah, oh yeah, I'll bet. And stuff. And we were talking about going in there, but we were making pretty good time, so we continued up and went went through, went underneath the Verrazano Narrows, Narrows Bridge and into New York Harbor, and all the traffic there was incredible. And oh, the ferries. Yeah. Were well, a lot of pleasure craft around there? Uh, I, I don't, there were some, I don't think there were a ton of them though. A lot more commercial craft that I remember, you know, as you say, ferries and yeah, yeah. stuff like that. And Staten Island ferry, that yeah. big yellowish orange one, I think. Yeah. And we Seen went, the movies? went to the Statue of Liberty and then saw the New York skyline and, and, uh, once again, I let Mark drive, and I stood and looked out the skyline. Yeah, I'll bet you did. <laughs> took, took videos and <laughs> stuff like that. And you went by the, you know, they have a aircraft carrier there, old aircraft carrier with a bunch of uh, other ships tied up alongside it. And it, it was really an amazing vista. And there was a new park that some billionaire had built on top of the pilings of an old pier and it had donated mm. to the city and he also had donated uh, funds to maintain it for the next 20 years supposedly. Oh which nice. Quite something. So then we we tried to hook up with a, a friend of Mark's but she was tied up in traffic and couldn't get a cab to get down to the pier where we were going to meet her. Yeah. And so we Eventually took off and headed up the Hudson, and this is where your your the Hudson at this point in time is a pretty good sized river, and uh, you know the uh, Tappan Zee Bridge, which has been rebuilt, and I think they're going to call it the Cuomo Bridge now after not Andrew but his father. Oh, really? Um, Even after all the scandal at the end there? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think this was in play long before that. Oh, uh, right, right. Well, I, you know, when I when I had reached out to Mike Porter because he's really good both with powerboats and then all the the inshore navigation stuff, uh, he had said that was sort of where 
the excitement ends in a lot of ways. If you've gone through, you're seeing all of New York and all that sort of stuff. And then as you get further in, it just turns into a, basically a river. And, and then all of a sudden you're in there for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, you know, the, the views that you're seeing are great and the activity, you know, there's most of it is, it's very rural, but there's trains going along in some cases, both sides of the Hudson, you know, passenger trains headed to New York, headed upstate to Albany. And Oh, wow. Okay. It's a, and and then you get, you know, eventually we got to uh, West Point, which is a pretty incredible, you know, you have to do a little S curve to get around West Point. And yeah. you can see the uh, a lot of the old buildings and the uh, light towers for the stadium and impressive place. I would have liked to have seen it at night, but. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. Well, and you know, there, there is, uh, there's some bridge you have to go over on the Appalachian trail to get over the Hudson. Uh, just right after you go over like bear mountain or something like that. So you would have traveled right under that. Oh yeah. I and years yeah. ago I walked over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, uh, we headed up, continued up the Hudson. And I think we spent the night at, uh, Geez, I can't remember now the name of the town. It's, uh, it's always marinas. You guys didn't anchor out at all, did you? No, no. And you know, when when you're in the Hudson and stuff, the the current and the tides, the tides still have an effect. You know, virtually all the way up to where the Erie Canal starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, when we went, the marina we stayed at, the current was running uh, two to three knots at the time, and the Dockmaster was very vocal in guiding me into this place, and you know it was it was kind of funny because this boat had pod drives, and I was able to control it pretty really well. Yeah, is it like basically just a joystick that you're using? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In in that sort of maneuvering, we got in there and uh, spent the night there, and then headed off the next morning for. Um, uh, Albany and Troy, which is Troy, is where the Erie Canal starts. We, you know, went by these. There are these kind of really interesting little lighthouses on on small rocks in the middle of the Hudson River that are very picturesque. Um, that are still used, mm-hmm. and we went by those. And there was an old uh, munitions place that was used in. Revolutionary War. Oh, it's almost like a history tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I think of, too. Anytime somebody says Erie Canal, I don't think of it as like a working waterway, even though it is. I think of just this old canal that was used a couple hundred years ago and and built for, you know, moving goods. And I always just picture horses dragging barges for some reason. I don't know if they did that on on the Erie Canal or what. Yeah. How wide is it? The Erie Canal? Yeah. Well, it, it varies because a lot of it is made out of river. Uh, oh, it's connecting rivers and lakes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we cross a lake that must have been 20, 15 miles wide and rivers that were at certain points at least a half a mile wide, if not wider. And then you have the sections where it's it's only, it's been cut through rock and it's maybe... Uh, a hundred feet, seventy feet wide, I think. Yeah, oh, really? 70. Yeah, yeah. And what what sort of speeds are 
once you reach that area, what what sort of speeds? Is it all like no wake zones or? Uh, pretty much. You know, we we were struggling to do like seven knots uh, most of the time, and you know we could bump it up to eight or something if if there weren't. You know, some of the place has docks, little docks all the way along with boats tied up to it and stuff. Well, so, and yeah, a boat like that, you're on. You can swamp those pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, and. People get on the radio and tell you, hey, you know. Oh, they're very vocal. Yes, absolutely. And they should be because, you know, there's a reason it's a no-wake zone and people just don't think about it. I I still remember being in Riviera Beach on Mighty Sparrow when I first bought it and probably a 90-foot mega yacht went by just outside in between like Peanut Island or whatever it is and kicked out a three-foot wave and it hit that marina and bow sprits were hitting the dock. Uh, my bow sprit went down and hooked onto an anchor, one of the eight that came with the boat that I had just set on the dock. It hooked it and threw it into the water, and a couple of uh, dock boxes got broken in by people's bows and their anchors and stuff. Jeez. And the guy just, you know, trolling away, no even, not even thinking about it. But everybody came out of their boats and was like, what is that? What the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Well, so we uh, we got up to Albany, New York, and we spent the night at the Albany Yacht Club. Ooh, fancy! Which is not really fancy, but it, <laughs> it, it, it's right in the heart of Albany. We at Albany Yacht Club found out that, and now I remember the time timeline a little better. The Erie Canal opens for the season on May twenty first of of last year. Yeah. And we we were, I don't know if we were there on the 21st or the 22nd, but we were trying, That's that was what sort of dictated our timing of our trip was the, when the canal opened. Yeah. And we got to Albany Yacht Club and we're having a beer and we're talking to these people and they're telling us that the Erie Canal is closed. And I think it was lock 17, which is the highest lock, highest lift lock of the of the entire 35 lock canal system uh, had broken the first day mm-hmm. and it has a 40 and a half foot lift. And it, it's one of those where the gate at the lower end of the lock gets lifted up and you take your boat in below the gate. Oh, okay. And then they lower it back down and they fill the, fill the lock and you, and the lifting mechanism, which is, Ancient, it, it failed, and they were uh, they were anticipating it might take a month to fix it or something, but they were trying to uh, see if they could do something with a crane to temporarily make it operational. Oh, to open and close that that lock. Yeah, and so we, you know, we're thinking, oh crap, what's what's going to happen now? But we needed to get some food, and we. We're talking to these people at the yacht club, and we said, "Well, they said, well, and and this guy was from uh, the Petoskey Harbor Springs area. He was traveling on a eighty-foot powerboat that was headed up there. Oh, wow! And uh, so we were saying, well, we're going to go, we're going to Uber or something to uh, a grocery store, get some supplies, and get ready to take off in, in the morning. And he said, oh, he said, well." You can use my car," he said. "I'm 
traveling along. My wife is on the boat. I'm traveling with it, and we switch off. And, you know, he wasn't the owner of the boat. He was a friend of the guy. And said, oh, okay. And so we wander out to the parking lot, and he's showing us, you know, how how the key worked and stuff. And we get in, and we're driving away, and... uh, what kind of car is this? How the, how the key worked? What do you mean? Well, it it was turns out it was a Bentley. Oh, <laughs> and you just lending it to you? And I didn't realize it was a Bentley. Mark was the one who clicked in. Yeah, yeah. That it was, and I was saying that it was kind of a soft ride. Is where yeah, how bad it was. Jeez. But so we get our groceries. We spend the night, and the next morning we take off, and we get to the first lock on the Erie Canal at Troy. And we uh, went through it, and we went to a little, the first village before the second lock is the first of many where they have what are called uh, walls. Uh, you know, essentially it's the the wall of the canal is set up uh, so that you can moor there. It has power. Mm-hmm. It has water. And they have all these little pop-up shops and, you know, people selling food and, uh, you know. Can you stay there overnight on the walls? Y- yes, you can. Now, we we sort of fussed around for a little bit. I think we got something to eat and trying to figure out what to do with this canal and stuff. And, and we had, you know, about 15 locks to go before we got to the breakdown. Yeah, because you're, you're pretty much hoping that they're going to fix it. Yeah. But if they don't, do you have a plan B? We... We developed one. We was, developed <laughs> it on the way. <laughs> yeah. So we we went up, trying to think, we went through about seven more locks, and we got to Schenectady, New York, and we stayed at the Schenectady Yacht Club, which was in a very rural setting, mm-hmm. and it had must have had uh, 40 slips, and it was on a uh, cattail marsh-type, setting of the of the river at that point in time. I think it was the Mohawk River. And they had a nice development beyond it with, you know, spots to uh, park and, you know, showers and all that sort of stuff. They, we checked with them and said, you know, can we leave this boat here if they don't fix the canal? And, and they said, yeah, you know, you can you can do that because they didn't have a lot of their boats in yet. It was still so early in the season. Yeah. So th- that's what we ended up doing. And we, I think we spent a night there. And then the next day we took off and Mark went back to Flagstaff. I went to Petoskey. I think we, we left on a Tuesday and it was Friday that they announced that they had gotten the crane in and they were going to reopen the lock. Oh, so it was pretty fast. Yeah, it was quicker than we expected. But if we had known it was only going to be three days or four days, we probably would have stayed there. But, yeah. You know, the, they couldn't give you any information. So we, I went home, came back, and uh, we took off and made our way up towards Lock 17 and got there uh, uh, late the first day, I think, and we tied up on the wall below that lock and went up and explored the crane and stuff. And this crane was immense. It was a, uh, a, I've got pictures of it. I think it was a 250 ton capacity crane. Holy cow. Cause it has to pick up that door, right? Yes. But they, 
they didn't do their engineering completely correct because they, the door has a counterbalance to it, and they can measure how much force they're using with a crane, and they figured out that they really only needed a crane about a third that size to yeah. do this job. Oh, right, right, yeah. And so they, you know, in another week or so, they switched cranes. But in the meantime, we got through that lock and, and headed on up the canal. Nice. Well, can I ask you about the the locks? So, you you're pulling up to one of these. Do you have to uh, call people, call them on the radio, or anything? Uh, yeah, yeah. We uh, let them know that we were coming to lock eight, for instance. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was uh, westbound headed to lock eight, so it lets them know which direction the traffic's coming from. And they say, well, you know, we've got a couple of eastbound boats coming through, so. You know, it'll be about half an hour. And you just sit there and idle for a little while and yeah, wait yeah. until they... And then, yeah, are there times where you got up to it and there's like a line of people? Uh, no, we we sort of expected we would have that happen, but it didn't, didn't happen. Every time we got to a lock, we were able to get in. I mean, there were... Probably because it was early in the season, I guess, right? Yeah, and there was one day where we were... We filled the locks as we went through with these other boats. There was a, a big boat from Harbor Springs that was going along and a couple of other local boats and something from Lake Erie. And uh, so it, it worked out great. Yeah, hmm. That would be a pain to have to wait for the, the, the lock to go through another cycle to get you in there. Well, and when you, when you pull into the lock, are then you... Because I remember when I interviewed Walt way back in the early days of this podcast, he was talking about tying off to the walls and tying off, I think, to other boats and all that sort of stuff. Did you have to do any of that? We didn't do any you of that. You just go in and just idle and well, try not to bounce off the walls? Yeah, I mean, you have to set your fenders up. And typically, most of the time, we were starboard side too. So all our fenders were on the starboard side. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of those big round two-foot diameter balls at the bow and stern and uh, some other stuff in between. And coming down off the sides of the locks, they have ropes which just hang straight down and, and I th- must be tied off uh, down in the water someplace. Mm-hmm. And you, so you pull in and the, the lock master sort of guides you on, you know, wants everybody to get as far in as they can. And you uh, go against the side of the lock and Mark would go out on the deck and hold one of these lines. And, you know, I, I don't think he had to wear gloves very often. Most of the time, they weren't nearly as bad. Uh, yeah, as you nasty. would think. Yeah, you'd think they'd be this old three-strand braided hemp rope that'll yeah. give you splinters for a week. Yeah. And, you know, so he would stand there and I would keep the boat as close to the wall as I could and with the pod drive and joystick. Oh, yeah. It, it must have been piece easy. Of cake. I, I'm just trying to picture what it would be like to do this with Mighty Sparrow <laughs> yeah. and trying to maneuver with, you know, the the horrible backing up of a Westdale 32 and all that sort of stuff. It would be a nightmare. And then your mast in your face. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. It, it And then the the lock w- gate would close and they would fill the thing and it would, you know, it 
it only took, you know, it seemed like five to ten minutes to fill most of these locks. And know. then you just boom, you're out of there, onto the next it. one. Yep. How, how many total were you? Did you go through uh, in the Erie Canal? I think it was thirty-five. Thirty-five locks. Wow. Yeah. So you're sort of inchworming your way through. Yeah. Obviously, it slows down the the mileage, but yeah. How far? You know, once once you get through the Erie Canal, then you're you're pretty much into Lake Erie. Lake Erie. Yep. And then all of a sudden, the hammer gets put down. Yeah, and you know there. You know, the concern was, uh, you know, what what is the wind conditions going to be like? Because, yeah. you know, it's a huge westerly fetch. And the Great Lakes are known for quick storms and choppy seas and cold, cold water. Yeah. But how many days into this trip are you now without without the the little break where you had to take off? Like six days in, seven days? I think so. I think I think it took... I think it took two or three three days maybe to get to the beginning of the Erie Canal. Okay. And then in the Erie Canal, they talk, some of these guidebooks talk about how it's going to be eight to ten days or something. And I think we were able to do it in about seven days. It, as you say, you're, you're trundling along at seven, eight knots. This, the view is, is quite interesting. You know, yeah. there's some spots where it's just so wild. And, you, you know, there's no signs of civilization or anything, and it's just beautiful. Yeah. Huh. And then, you know, the towns you go through, every once in a while, you'll, you know, you'll see the expressway. And, you know, if you're going across upstate New York on, I think it's, I don't know if it's, I think it's 90, you know, you, you see the... Erie Canal from yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. But, huh. So, you know, when we finally got out of the Erie Canal... And you get into Buffalo, which is a incredibly industrial area. It's, oh yeah, definitely. And stuff, and it's it's um, it's a little culture shock from the Erie Canal <laughs> area. <laughs> and then uh, you know we took off and we headed down the lake about eighty miles or so, and you know I think we were limited to about twenty one, twenty two knots because of the chop. Yeah. For a while. You know, we stopped for fuel and some of these marinas were sort of, I guess, half-assed would be a good description of them. You know, the the fuel dock has a couple of tiny little cleats that are yeah, held right. by quarter-inch bolts and you're thinking, Jesus. Big black no. tires hanging off the sides. Yeah. You're like, oh, what? How am I going to pull my boat up to that? Yeah. Well, you know, not every fuel dock and yacht club can be immaculate and gorgeous it's got to be some mom and pop shops those are my kind of places yeah but so anyhow we we headed down the lake erie we got to lorraine is where we um actually there's another one that i can't pronounce the name of the town it's like ashublaka or something which was kind of interesting because it's on the south side of lake erie and it was a port that they used to uh, transport iron ore and, you know, all sorts of ores and grain and things like that early in the days. And it would, stuff would come down the Great Lakes, go into this port, and then be shipped by train throughout the United States. And it still is a, a port. And there were three ships in there when we went in. And you, it's, it's obviously 
the whole harbor is laid out for these ships. And then you, as a powerboater, you go over to the right and you go around the corner and there's a yacht club and some marinas and charter fishing boats and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> we pulled into this yacht club and this uh, guy had, it was late in the day and the fellow had arranged that we could use a slip that somebody had, hadn't got their boat in yet on. Right. And we uh, tied up on it. We were walking uh, towards the towards the yacht club to see what was going on or something or other. And this couple came up to us and they asked if we had something on our boat that was making noises. And we had one of those ultrasonic things to protect your hull from slime buildup. Um, Andy found Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And Never even heard of that. And, you know, we hadn't paid. I knew we had it, but I had never experienced one of these and stuff. And apparently they on uh, three three boats down could hear this noise that came oh, from that. this stuff. Yeah. So we <laughs> shut it off and <laughs> moved on down the line. And <laughs> then clean it up later. Because, yeah. yeah, is there no anti-fouling paint on that boat then? I think there is. I, I, it's just like an extra... I, I think it's an extra trick. I don't, I don't know whether they are... Probably wouldn't need it up in the Great Lakes, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah. Out at sea, in so, the, especially in the yeah. when you're on the coast, uh, the East Coast, man, the growth is bad. That's one thing when I go up to Buford, that's... That's got to happen. I got to hop in the water and scrape all. I'll probably have about three inch beard on oh, the bottom geez. of my boat. Yeah. So we continued on down Lake Erie. About that time, I got a phone call from the owner of the boat, and he is coming. He and his wife are coming back from Colorado on f- Friday, and I think it was Thursday at this point in time, and they're going to be flying into Detroit, and he. W- wanted me to pick him up in Detroit and then he would travel with us up to Petoskey. Oh, okay. And a little change of plans, but Yeah. And then Mark and I were talking and as nice a boat as this is, it's really a two cabin boat. And oddly enough, like all the lounge areas and stuff, none of them are conducive to sleeping in, you know, the Bunk. Yeah, it's not like a sailboat where every every seating area is meant to also double as a bed. Yeah, so eventually we decided that when we get to Detroit, Mark is going to get off and he's going to go get a plane back to Flagstaff and Harry's going to come on and he and I are going to continue on up to Petoskey. Do our final crossing of Lake Erie and uh, head on up the St. Mary's River, I believe it is. Yeah, and Lake St. Clair yeah. and all that. Yeah, and as you enter it, it's really neat because you're you're coming along it, and in front of you, you see two little hills of landscape, and what it is is a ship channel that the uh, big freighters come through, the thousand-foot freighters. Hmm. And I think as they dredge them, they put the the tailings and stuff either side and now they've got oh, trees built up stuff and, like that and, wow and so we're we're going up this and we're and we encountered a thousand footer coming down towards us which <laughs> and there's plenty of room in this yeah um but still it's it's always unnerving you yeah. know and i i normally the close calls that i have you know are a mile or 
or maybe a half a mile if it's really close out at sea. Yeah. But those ships are absolutely massive. Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, so we get up past this first channel. The first thing we came to was the island that I was supposed to pick Harry up on, and we made our way across the, this little, we're out of the channel now. We're in an area we had to watch out for. Uh, there were some rocks shown on the chart and stuff, and we picked Harry up on a on a dock that was obviously not used very frequently. It had uh. pieces of rebar sticking out of it and, oh. you know, all this sort of stuff. And well, luckily, by this point, you've had some practice pulling up. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and this boat had a feature that they call Skyhook, where you can press a button and it will maintain position. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, but Yeah, I've got that on Mighty Sparrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's called an anchor. Yeah, right? Oh, good. But it, and, and Harry was suggesting that I use that, but it's, it's, not, it's not for when you're in close quarters. It's for when you're out in the middle of someplace and you just want to sit. Yeah, like fishing or yeah, something like yeah. that. So we, we picked him up and then went up to a restaurant up around the corner and uh, met his friend up there and tied up and had lunch. Then Mark and his friend took off, and Harry and I got on the boat and headed on up the river. And, you know, from that how, point... How was your weather? It was great. We had we had uh, one rainy day on the Erie Canal, but it it, it wasn't really terrible. I mean, But we there were, weren't any systems coming off the Canadian Shield and all that coming down to the Great Lakes? No. Nice. No, and, and when Harry got on the boat... Uh, he took over at the helm. Oh, I'm sure he did, yeah. The boat owner is here now. His, his boat is his, his new toy. You're still the captain, though. Yes. So you you, uh, you pull rank on that. Actually, there's some debate about that, but I yeah. think officially you probably pull rank. Yeah. But uh, we, we went on up uh, through Port Huron, headed up about 60 miles uh, to a, a port of refuge harbor, which, is, you know, it's really a marina, but... The state built it to, because there are no harbors along that part of the coast. Yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty straight shoreline. Yeah, on Lake Michigan. I mean, on that side, what what's the what's the big bay in between the thumb? Saginaw Bay. Saginaw Bay. Even that really doesn't have a lot. Did you follow that, or did you just jump right past? We jumped right past, and, so and that would have been your big offshore then. Yeah, and and that uh, as we were doing that the. The wind was coming out of Saginaw Bay, if I remember correctly, maybe a little, a little on the north side of it, and it was it was a bit choppier than we had anticipated, and so for a couple of hours to get across the bay was a little bumpy. Oh, I'll bet, yeah. Um, and then we we went on up to uh, Sheboygan, spent the night in Sheboygan, which is kind of interesting because they have the icebreaker moored there. Mm-hmm. And they were building a barge to uh, replace a, a fiber optic cable, I think, under the Straits of Mackinac. You know, it had a big drum that was like twenty foot high. Of of where they were going to put the the fiber optic cable, I believe. Yeah. And so that's a pretty big port in Sheboygan, then. Yeah, decent once, size. Yeah, I mean, it's once again, it's essentially a river, but. We tied up there. We and there were a bunch of people on the dock with lawn chairs, and we we sat there and uh, had 
had some dinner and some drinks and met some of the locals. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you're almost on your home turf at that point. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's how many miles? Eighty miles from the Mackinac Bridge, something like that. Yeah, maybe sixty. Okay. But yeah, not not too far. And you know, of course, when we get up the next day, it starts out pretty nice. And it, it's stayed nice all day, but the wind came out of the southwest as mm. we as we after we went under the Mackinac Bridge, and all of a sudden we're pounding into four to six foot. Oh, uh, chop! Yeah. Well, yeah. you know it has a way of not letting you just take the easy way all the way. It'll get you in the end. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Harry's driving, and he pushed the boat harder than I would have. Yeah, but once again, it's his boat. We got around past Beaver Island and and headed down into Little Traverse Bay and everything smoothed out and it was absolutely gorgeous as we pulled into Petoskey. Nice, triumphant. It feels good to finally uh, yeah. to make it through there. But the the whole adventure and the whole trip that that must have been pretty amazing because you're you know you're seeing new stuff because that's the first time you've ever done any of that, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's it's something, I mean, it does, it makes me nervous thinking about, but I, I think I always approach that thinking as, as like, I'm going to have to be doing this on my own Yeah. and having a second person. I mean, you know, it must've been nice having Mark there and then having Harry there. Yeah. And I had, uh, you know, this boat had two chart plotters and I had a quick the works. Cor- quick course on how to operate those in, in, uh, Stevensville but I also brought along some chart books. Good man. You know, so yeah, a few paper chart or yeah, 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 yeah. Good man. That's you got to have it because you know those electronics they have a tendency of failing. Oh that, yeah, that old paper chart. Unless you tear it up or light it on fire, it's pretty much going to work. Yeah, as long as you know how to use it, which you definitely do. Yeah. So that was it. Was a it was a great trip. It was a as you say the the. The area we went over, the Atlantic Ocean, the Hudson River, the Erie Canal, the Great Lakes. I mean, that that's, uh, I, you know, people have asked me, you know, would you, well, would you do the Erie Canal again? Well, not not right away. <laughs> not right away, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could see how, I, I, I definitely could see how it would be very fun to do it once and check it all out. But it's also, I don't know, I mean, I don't know, it. Yeah, doing that sort of stuff, I'm sure you'd the 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 fun would be out of the way getting into those locks again and doing them all over again, yeah. that sort of thing. But yeah, and you know, as you're going along, particularly in Western New York, a lot of the times you're you're is motoring along at seven eight knots, and there's people walking on the canal bank, walking their dogs, and they wave at you. And yeah, stuff. yeah, it's, right. It's, it's kind of fun. Definitely very different than offshore ocean sailing, where yes. yeah. really the only changes are the weather, and other than that, you're just in the same situation the whole time. So, yeah. well, that's pretty cool, Ed. Would any uh, any advice for uh, would be Erie Canal travelers uh, for their first time? <laughs> you want to have actually, you should have gloves, and you should have make sure you have buckets that you can put water in, so you can rinse stuff off without you know rinse your gloves off in without having to get fresh water from someplace because the only water you'd have would be on your boat oh right right but also uh 
making sure you have uh, enough supplies to get you to where you're, you know, for a few days so that if you're, if something goes wrong, like a canal lock fails. Oh, and you have to like anchor out or something. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, and then, yeah, I mean, throughout that whole trip, you're basically waking up with a game plan for the day and sort of having a marina in mind and a number of locks in mind. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I figure that's, you know, that you, you plan those out and you have the, the, the boat's all good and always be ready to anchor. That's, yeah. that's my biggest thing. Even just on the small little bit of the intercoastal that I've done, like my, that's my biggest fear is that the engine quits or something happens and it's just, you just got to be able to stop that boat as fast as possible. Make sure you don't just wind up on the bank, tide going out, and then it's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for, for coming on and, and giving us a glimpse into the uh, how to get a boat from the Atlantic Ocean to Petoskey, Michigan, and the Great Lakes uh, on Lake Michigan. So it's pretty cool. And didn't hit anybody. And you didn't hit anybody. That's a success story right there. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad. And having to deal with, like, broken locks and yeah. all that. I, you know, I guess it's it's a good thing that you didn't have to go through some major storm or something like that. But, you know, those always add to the adventure. But yeah. it's always kind of nice when you don't have to deal with them. So yeah. good on you on that one. Good planning. <laughs> and that was all in May. Yeah, actually, yeah, we left, I, th I think I was in Stevensville on the 14th, and I think we left Stevensville on maybe the 18th or something, and, and then headed on up. Okay, gotcha. Well, cool. Well, thanks for sharing the trip, and uh, yeah, until next time, I'm sure we'll do another podcast somewhere down the road, old man. Okay. All right, thanks. Thanks, Jerome.